Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. By now, I assume it's one minute past 12 midday, so it is good afternoon. And we are here to promote and to defend public education. That's education that is free, secular and compulsory and also universal. And this week, I was very distressed to find on the fence of a nearby public primary school, an advertisement that was put there by a real estate agent uh, promoting enrolment procedures for the local Catholic school. What have we come to? We've come to a situation where private school funding is preferred over the provision of our public schools for all of our children. And in the inner city of Melbourne, Sydney, and in fact in the outer suburbs of Melbourne too, many, many parents do not have and are not going to have the choice of a free, secular, universal education for their children. So the local public schools, and one just wonders what the thinking is behind of this, are prepared to suggest to parents that they take their children elsewhere. So uh, there's going to be a meeting down in the Docklands, which I'll inform you about at a later date, later this month, concerning all of these matters. But we have a website at www.adogs.info and our press release this week refers to, as usual, the issue of the week. And what was the issue of the week? The NAPLAN results indicating to us, the dogs, a failure of state aid to private schools experiment. This experiment's been going on for the last 50 years and it's a failed experiment. And if anybody wants to really get beneath the surface and see what these NAPLAN so-called results really mean, then they should look at a funding experiment that has failed. The preliminary NAPLAN results for 2016... They're only preliminary, they're in. And the results have plateaued. That is, there's no real result one way or the other. 
They show reading scores have increased by 0.4% since 2013, writing scores have declined by 0.2% and numeracy scores have risen by 1.26%. And over the same period, we're told by Mr Birmingham that the federal school funding has increased by 23.7%. And the question is, where has that 23.7% really been going? The interpretation of the figures, then, is on for young, old and interest groups. And Mr Birmingham was the one who started this issue this week because he wanted to say that we've put all this money into the schools and they have not delivered the results. So funding is not really what it should be about. Mr Birmingham, of course, wants to justify the Coalition's refusal to give more funding to education and in particular disadvantaged children in public schools. Now, he's only half right. Dogs believe that they prove that throwing money at private schools and starving public education has proved deleterious not only for public education but for the whole country. In keeping up with the international Joneses, it's national suicide. Successful countries in Europe and Asia look at us and laugh. The Australian Education Union uh, got into the fight, of course, and they claim that the Education Minister is misusing the latest test results to divert attention from an issue that caused a significant voter swing away from the Coalition in the recent election. And this is what's interesting, listeners. The dogs have had great trouble since the election in finding a lot in the media about education, even though everybody, when we were voting during the election, knew that it really was an education election. The ABC didn't want to talk about it. They were prepared to talk about the Medi-Scare campaign and that it was a health election. But it was an education election too. And it was, a, it was an election about the failure of the neoliberal policies of the coalition and the Labor Party over the last 30 years. Now, uh, this was really uh, putting a smokescreen over the Turnbull government's refusal to fully fund the Gonski needs-based model. Their mistake is their current reluctance to confront the private religious sector, and in particular, the Teacher unions at the moment are not prepared to confront the Independent Teachers Federation and the Catholic education sector, which duplicates and is now replacing the public sector. Chris Bonner, who is no longer working in the public education system but is doing research and uh, his research comes onto the Save Our Schools webpage, He got somewhere near the truth when he said this, the most advantaged school students are receiving high levels of funding for very little return, while disadvantaged students are left languishing. And of course, the most advantaged school students are in the private sector. And putting it nicely, he says, funding is not being directed appropriately. How true. It's not being directed appropriately. It should be only directed towards the public system. And Australia needs to bite the bullet and say, stop state aid now. Now, I've given on our our website 
Um, all of the places you can go to to see uh, the reports on this issue. Uh, the Guardian has two or three entry, entries, which is quite interesting, and we'll get Robert to discuss all of this. And the Sydney Morning Herald um, had Mr Birmingham on a, the ABC program uh, where he, he started talking about the NAPLAN results. Before they're actually fully in, uh, they're only preliminary, remember, and he's going in straight away. Uh, and then The Guardian has got both Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd and uh, Mr Goss talking. But what concerns me is, personally, is the um, report from the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, where there's a lot about the NAPLAN results, and uh, then we have uh, the Melbourne University of Melbourne education expert, Professor Patrick Griffin, uh, saying that reforming teaching practice would lift students' performance. And then we have the New South Wales Premier Mike Baird identified talking about lifting the state's NAPLAN results over the next three years as a priority. And then the expert in education is, is presented as the Director of Teaching and Learning at Sydney Catholic Schools, Michael Bazina. And then we have Carolyn Parcell, who's the Principal of St Joachim's Catholic Primary School in Lidcombe where students recorded outstanding gains, uh, saying what she thinks should be done. Uh, and I find this quite extraordinary. There's nothing here, for example, from the Director of Public Education in New South Wales, who is none other than Mike Scott from the ABC. Well, there's nobody from the uh, Education Department in the management sector who actually can talk about NAPLAN because they're not teachers. They haven't had, had any experience in the classroom. They don't know about testing of children. They are managerials. And I think this is a commentary on what is going wrong in Australia when the experts for the Sydney Morning Herald, which is usually reasonably good on public education, um, are wheeled out as university professors talking about teaching, which is um, uh, very close to bashing the teachers at the end of the day uh, because they're, they're, they're not the ones that are in the front line like so many of the public school teachers are and um, members of the Catholic education system. And there's no statement from a public education person until you go to The Guardian where Chris Bonner has got some interesting things today and you have Dr Peter Goss, uh, the School Education Program Director at the Grattan Institute. But I'll leave it to Robert to tell you what these people have to say and what he uh, has uh, feels about this and he will also deal with the Australian Education Union and their media release. So over to Robert. Thank you very much, Jean. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We are the dogs, defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S, and we have to defend them because we're being attacked. Jean's quite right. Um, with the release of the NAPLAN results, um, where 
Preliminary sort of, results. Uh, NAPLAN's preliminary results. August is going to turn into NAPLAN season. Um, um, by indeed, by Mr Birmingham. We'll be discussing these things um, and how it's been treated in the media and, of course, the dog's point of view after some, after some Monteverdi. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. That was a bit of Claudia Monteverdi. That was sung by Montserrat Figueras. Um, and she was singing Si Dolce e il Tormento, which means How Sweet Is My Pain. Yes, interesting. Um, yes, yeah, she was getting really enthusiastic there towards the end, if you listen to the breathiness of her wonderful Baroque voice. Um, yeah, back to the Dogs Program, because we're here to defend government schools, not wander around with music criticism. Um, and, yeah, today we're going to talk about blindness. Um, stupidity, I would call it, but people call it blindness. Um, Simon Birmingham has responded to the plateauing, inverted commas, of 
the results for the kids of Australia, which is to say they got to be sort of all right, but now they're not getting any better. He's responded to that by saying, well, we better stop giving them money. <laughs> I mean, the fundamental response for the education minister of the great nation of Australia to the fact that kids aren't getting, a better, aren't getting any better at their education, whatever that means, is to start giving them less money. Um, uh, that's just a bit stupid. Um, when I call, call, call it a stupid, and I was referring to blindness, I mean, the answer to this problem is blind. It's just so obvious. Um, the distribution of money from the taxpayers to Australia is now, at the moment in Australia, done by a process which is called sector blind. Sector blind, which is you're not allowed to ask questions about whether the institution you're giving money to is a private institution or a public institution. Public institutions, of course, are free, secular and universal. Private institutions are not. Private institutions, that is private schools, be they Catholic or independent, are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of the country. They can hire and fire who they like. They can enrol and, inverted commas, euphemistically de-enrol whoever they like, be they Steiner schools, Catholic schools, Anglican schools, grammar schools, any schools, because they're all private. They can do what they like. It's a free market. Um, and because at the moment the funding in Australia is sector blind, um, and because funding to private schools is directly tied to money you give to public schools, every time you give a dollar to a child that needs it in Australia, you have to give a dollar to a child that doesn't. Um, when I say have to give a dollar to a child that doesn't, that is students who are already well serviced by the facilities of their parents and by indeed the government put together, that means that they've got enough money to get a good education and we in Australia have to currently just keep giving them more, whether they need it or not. So Birmingham is actually questioning whether or not children in public schools should even get the crumbs from the wealthy's table. Well, that's the functional thing, but because of course in Australia you can't even talk about this. You can't even talk about it. I mean, in fact, even Chris Bonner, uh, bless his well-researched and, and state school advocacising um, little, little shoes, bless him, um, doesn't talk about this directly no. because it's political poison. Leaves it to the dogs. He leaves it to us because we will call it out for what it is, which is if you're blind about where you're spending the money, then you're going to be stupid about where you spend the money. One thing leads to the other. I'm going to call it as causal. I'm not going to call it correlational, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to call it causal. If you are blind, as in sector blind, about where you spend your money, then you are going to be stupid about how you spend your money. Now, as and that is why Gonski, at its base, is also blind and stupid, because Gonski was told that he had to be sector blind by the Labor Party. That's right, like that wonderful um, statue or whatever it is up outside the Magistrates' Court or the County Court of Justice. Um, Gonski was blind. He was forced to, when he did his review, not. He was forced. He was said, you cannot look at the religious education system in Australia. You're not allowed to. You can't take that into account. You must generate a report about how to improve education by not looking at this very particular question. The question being, um, is if you give a dollar to a child that needs it, then we should also look at the dollar that's being given to the child that doesn't. Now, years ago I used to talk about a dollar being given to a child that needs it and 50 cents being given to a child that doesn't. Now it's pretty much on parity, um, as Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd have revealed. Um, the whole sort of giving money to children in state schools is now so firmly tied 
to the private education system that it's pretty much dollar for dollar. But now some people argue it's 95 cents, some people argue it's a dollar and five and all that sort of stuff, but it's pretty much dollar for dollar here in Australia at the moment, which That's... is in fact the problem. It's the singular core problem. There are other problems. There are teacher training issues, definitely, which can be improved. There are administrative issues that definitely can be improved, like refunding an education department that can support state school principals effectively. Oh, there's all sorts of deck chairs you can actually talk about fixing up and making things look better and, in fact, be more efficient. But the fundamental issue is one that no one is either willing or indeed allowed to look at. And as Jean quite rightly points out, when it comes to state school advocates within the state school system, they're not allowed to even talk about it, and they're not, in fact, capable of talking about it. So in this current climate, we get people like Peter Goss from the Grattan Institute that Jean was talking about. Now, he's willing to talk around the issue, and indeed so is, is, is um, Steve Bonner. But Peter Goss, uh, Peter Goss, in an article um, just a couple of days ago on Wednesday, said that today's NAPLAN results show that literacy and numeracy skills amongst Australian school children have plateaued. He says average scores are flat for most of the states and the number of students um, below the already low national minimum standards have barely changed. That is, things aren't good and they're getting worse. I would point out, um, just to editorialise a little, I would point out that while this is happening in Australia, the rest of the world aren't blind. They aren't deliberately blind like ourselves. They don't go around wasting money by spending it upon already privileged children. And the rest of the world is rapidly improving. They're not standing still like we are. He says, and back to Peter Goss, it's a concerning outcome, and federal politicians have immediately entered the fray. The coalition is arguing that the results show that money alone is not the answer and that a fresh approach is needed. Labor proposes fully funding the Gonski reforms, which the coalition is not willing to do. Above all, says Peter Goss, the results demand explanation. Why are outcomes in literacy and numeracy failing to improve despite increased focus on the core skills? Why hasn't increased funding made a difference? Who is to blame and what should we do now? Today's results cannot provide the answers, but they can help us sharpen the questions. Now, Peter Goss, I've told you what the problem is. If you approach a problem by blinding yourself to the core of it, you're not going to get to it. But Peter Goss goes on, nevertheless, bravely. Firstly, he says, let's be clear about what these results do and do not say. It is clear that no state or territory has found the key to unlock sustained gains. Queensland, he says, has made good gains since the first year of NAPLAN in 2008, in part by adding an extra prep year and a strong focus on improved teaching. Western Australia has made some gains, especially in years 7 to 9. For the last four years, other states have flatlined or made negligible improvements in most domains. The data for writing are harder, are harder to read, but suggest the standards have slipped since actually 2011. That is, we haven't just plateaued and everyone else has got better, but in writing um, we've gone backwards. But, he says, the devil is in the detail. We do not know from these results whether some schools or regions or sectors have found their own key to systematic improvement. Each state has a mix of government, Catholic and independent schools, and each sector is managed differently. Regional differences exist within each sector, and schools often have high levels of autonomy. Now, in the Gretton Institute's recent report, Widening Gaps, what NAPLAN tells us about student progress also reveals big differences in students leaving 
growing amounts among students from different backgrounds. Students whose parents have limited education typically do worse in Year 3 and fall further behind as they move through school. Year 9 students in disadvantaged schools fall up to two years behind their peers in advantaged schools, even if they did equally well in Year 3. Now, these progress gaps are deeply important and should be examined with the full 2016 NAPLA results are released in December. Second, according to Peter Goss, we should be wary of simplistic arguments about funding. Now, the Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, according to Peter Goss, is right when he says there's no direct link between increased funding to schools and better learning outcomes. More money will not lift outcomes unless it improves teaching practices in the nation's classrooms. Yet it can take up to three to five years for change in practice to clearly show up in changes in learning, and up to seven years to turn a school around. More analysis is needed to understand the link between funding and school outcomes in Australia. The most scientific approach is to take similar schools and randomly assign different levels of funding, but this has major ethical problems. What is Mr Goss talking about? I, it's, it's, it's all... He's saying that we haven't got enough data yet, but things might get better, but we're not quite sure and we need to do more statistical analysis. Well, all of that's true. In fact, all of that's true, but he's not actually addressing the central concern. And the central concern is he has identified, and it has been identified previously, and I'm going to say this because it shocks me, that if you come from a poor family in Australia and your parents aren't particularly well educated, in Australia, by definition... You're stuffed. <laughs> this whole idea of a fair go, this whole idea of the ability to redeem yourself through education, this whole idea that even some Americans have of, of you know, the harder you work, the more education you have, there, there will be um, some benefit for you if you do that. In Australia, it is assumed that if you come from a poor family where your parents aren't very well educated, you are stuffed. It's just an assumption. No one's even talking about changing that. No one's saying, actually, that's a significant problem and that's a waste of, waste of the resources in our populations. No one's dealing with it. That's just accepted. It's accepted by the Grattan Institute. It's, it's, in fact, in many ways, it's accepted by Trevor Cobalt in the Save Our Schools organisation. It's accepted as a fact and no one wishes to actually address that as a problem. Now, there is a group that doesn't, doesn't accept it and that, that group are the teachers in public schools that are actually dealing with these children day by day and who are in the front line. Uh, a lot of them are in the, um, in the teacher unions and they are prepared to try to call it as it is. But unfortunately, the unions have gone away from the no state aid position in order to at least get some money into our public schools so that some of those children, particularly the children who've come from overseas and have been traumatised by war, etc., that those children will have a chance because... Um, if you've, if you've been a teacher in a lot of these schools, the children who in fact are the most highly motivated and who can and do do very well are the children of refugee and immigrant parents. Uh, so 
you're not quite right there. There are some people who are very much aware and who dedicate their lives to this. Indeed. And In- don't romance about America at the moment because I've got some very interesting material from America. Oh, we might come to that later in the show or indeed next week. But I'm actually being slightly unfair to Peter Goss because I must admit that he does actually address this central problem tangentially in the rest of his article. But the article, by the way, was published in The Guardian on the 3rd of August. If you're interested in going, you'd find it. He says, we must look at where the extra funding that Simon Birmingham has been talking about has gone. He says, although both sides of politics back needs-based funding in principle, the dollars have not flowed to where they would make the most difference. He said, despite the fact that government school systems have much higher proportion of disadvantaged students, Catholic and independent schools received bigger increases in government funding between 2009 and 2014, both in percentage terms and in absolute dollars per student. Once private funding is taken into account, government schools received half the increase in net recurrent income per student compared to Catholic and independent schools. It's time to take those private schools over and uh, to make sure that we have enough schools for everybody that is open for every child and every child gets a basic amount of money and there are no fees charged by any school in Australia that wants to get public money. Indeed, indeed. And, of course, no tests at the school gate to say, you know, what colour, what religion, what ethnicity, what sexuality you or your parents might be, which is exactly what we have with private schools in Australia. Well, if you give public money, it should be to public schools. That's indeed right. Now, I'm only actually, Jean, by the way, referring to the American example in a very simple sense of the idea, which is probably moribund now, but the idea in terms of the founding of the American nation back a very long time ago, that you have an opportunity, no matter what your background, to succeed. And in Australia, that sense of the fundamental right to an opportunity has gone. Like, it's, it's, been, it's been washed away in the statistics, and now it's just assumed as something that happens in Australia. That if you're born to a poor family with poorly educated parents, um, you will, of course, be not be doing as well as if you're born to a rich family. Oh, well, perhaps we're a bit well, well, closer to, uh, to India where they have a caste system. <laughs> well, perhaps we're a little bit closer to the feudal system all those years ago <laughs> where who you're born is who you are. But, yes, um, so, like, to be fair to Peter Goss, he actually does point this out, but he points it out as one of, one of the potentially peripheral things, and he only refers to it indirectly. Now, Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd, also on the same day in The Guardian, that day being Wednesday, August the 3rd, wrote this about this whole what they call the Napland Trap and the other side of the plateau is a long downward slope. Um, They write that, well, okay, now it's Napland. Um, The tests themselves, of course, were a few months back. But August is when the results come out in schools and out to parents. It isn't as exciting as the annual festival of the Year 12 results, but it is developing a life of its own. We are bombarded with media releases, claims and counterclaims about schools and results. Cheer squads or jeer squads form up, an occasional moral panic, panic revived, along with the usual exhortations to do better next year. Now, they say that apparently Queensland and Western Australia are standout improvers. Yay! Since 2008, there have been gains in all content areas. Yay! but not in writing. Boo. Year three and some year five tests show significant gains. Yay. But year seven and year nine are letting the side down in writing. Boo. But there's more. Literacy and numeracy results have plateaued between 
2015 and 2016. In the words of the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, and I quote, plateauing results are not what we should expect or assume from our education systems. Well, says Chris, yes and no. Sure, test scores in literacy and numeracy have apparently plateaued. We can't say that about the rest of our education system because it doesn't lend itself to tick and flick NAPLAN-style testings. But what a letdown. By most accounting, schools are well into literacy and numeracy. They scramble to prepare kids for the tests, often putting aside non-testable stuff like history, art, music and the like, and these kids, rep- these kids repay us by plateauing. <laughs> and all, And in the process of... The flatliners have allowed the Federal Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, to rush in where angels fear to tread. In an I-told-you-so moment, he says it once again that shows that money doesn't lead to improved results. It's a brave call to link plateaued or poor NAPLAN scores in just 12 months to money matters, but he's done now and it twice and this year and last time to a chorus of groans from educators and statisticians. But what about the plateaued results? The reality is that they are almost certainly a product of our unique approach to schooling. A couple of decades ago, England went down this high-stakes, test-driven path. The low-performing schools were beaten up, everyone then focused on tests, and the scores improved. And eventually, plateaued. Kids and schools learned how to play the game, almost certainly at the expense of engagement in broader learning for the longer term. Robert, the next thing that Birmingham's probably going to be interested in, because according to the age uh, on the 4th of August, he's looking to England, is in fact um, the whole idea of performance pay for teachers. Uh, I don't think people who are not aware of the history of education quite realise what is happening We are going backwards. These ideas are some of the worst of the 19th century ideas. Performance pay, payment by results, uh, which these NAPLAN tests could be used to introduce, um, is one of the most vicious ideas that history you've had in the history of education in this country and in England. And yet they're insisting the actual um, funding of private schools religious schools and letting them do the job, uh, if you like, they are sending out the job that the government should be responsible for to religious people. These um, religious institutions, this also has failed and failed miserably in the 18th and 19th century and yet we're going backwards. We're going backwards. Yes, um, Yes, Jean, you're absolutely right. Um, um, it's, it's almost a sort of craziness, isn't it? I mean, this whole idea, it's just the whole idea of performance play for teachers means that education is a competition in a marketplace and we'll have winners and losers and we all know who the losers are going to be. We all know who the winners will be because, as even Bonner and um, Coburn will tell us, you know, how where you're born, your postcode and your parents actually will determine your educational outcomes more than anything else. It makes sense. In a world what? of, you know, free market dog-eat-dog yeah. competition, yeah. it's craziness. Now, it makes sense if you read Piketty and um, Stieglitz, if we're going back, in fact, into a world where you have a few very wealthy people and um, the rest are, are put into class structures and have expectations. 
will get to the point where, in fact, they shouldn't be given education at all because the wealthy don't want to pay taxes to pay for the education of other people's children. That's oh. what use of pay means. Unless it's a scholarship in a grammar school or something like that for some particularly smart smart person that they can that they can then pick and choose. Oh, you might need a few smart servants to do your dirty work for oh, you. Yes. I just wonder when they're going to stop um, stop beating about the bush and you know just start putting alcohol in the blood surrogate so we can create some epsilons and you know then everyone's got their little part in this brave new world. That's right. Oh well, I'd rather be a Morlock than an Eloy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, to get back to what Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepard, I no, 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 I, I think it's perfect, perfectly sensible interjections, Gene and Dale, because I think looking into the future is what we often do here. But as I say, often what we do is look into the future by looking at what's happened in England. Now, in England, they've done what we're about to do, or in they're in the process of doing. And what's happened in England is very, very simple. While they've worked out the tests make things accessible and everyone got better at the test and then it plateaued because you can only cheat so much... <laughs> Um, meanwhile, schools and teachers were blamed to the point um, where there's a serious decline in participation and commitment. Mm. And that was just from the teachers. Mm. Even today, morale in English schools is not good. All the ingredients now exist for a replay of this in Australia. And I'll tell you what, I mean, this is an anecdotal. This is, this is actually what's happening at the moment. 15, 20 years ago, the English were having trouble getting English people of, of, of English descent to work in the schools because the schools were a bit of a mess. So they would import teachers. They'd import them from the old Commonwealth countries. They'd import them from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Um, uh, I would suggest, um, and also India as well. But and they, you the, were one of those. And I, I indeed was one of those. And then they realised this wasn't such a good idea, so they sort of spent a fair bit of money making sure that English-born teachers were teaching in English schools. And so, therefore, the demand for Australian teachers, which sort of just, by the way, corresponds with the fall in the Australian dollar, um, uh, went away. And so all the Australian teachers and all the New Zealand teachers and all the all North South African teachers tend to just basically disappeared in large chunks. Not all, but in large chunks. And they had all these English-born teachers teaching in English schools. But what Chris Bonner says is right. The morale of teachers is so low that the teachers that they've trained up to do this, at great expense to the taxpayer and the nation, have now left the teaching profession because it's a mugs game over there in England at the moment. And guess what? They want lots of Australians and New Zealanders and South Africans back right now because the English-born teachers have gone into the English, and English school system and their morale is so low that they've just left. It's a mugs game. And I'll tell you right now, it's not the kids. It's not a bunch of naughty kids annoying everyone and so therefore it's impossible. There's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that being a teacher in England at the moment, your morale is so low and you're beaten up on by the Conservative government so often and so frequently, you say, well, do you know what? I can't be bothered with this. I'll go and do something else. Even... Payment by results. Even even in an depressed um, employment market that's over there. Now, schools can always improve, says Chris Bonner, but our current test regime will have little to do with any improvement in schools. Fit in isolation, the tests are well constructed and do tell a limited story about individual students' progress. But that's as far as testing will ever go. High stakes, standardised tests don't improve schools. It was always nonsense to believe otherwise. Meanwhile, the level of student anxiety, stress and disengagement from schools is now on the rise. The second problem, Chris Bonner says, lies in what we conclude from the tests and what we ignore. The annual NAPLAN festival, result, festival of Results is built around shifting scores from the rise and fall of various states and eventually, when my school reports next year, schools. 
But trends in NAPLAN schools tell a much bigger story, one which is less palatable but more urgent, he says. He says, as we showed a couple of months ago, a significant and very Australian problem is growing achievement gap between the schools which increasingly involve the strugglers and those which increasingly involve the more advantaged. The results in the advantaged schools edges up a bit every year, while the results for the strugglers heads downwards every year. We won't lift our overall achievement in NAPLAN or anything else until we lift the strugglers. We won't lift the strugglers until we properly target their schools and stop over-investing in schools which are already well-resourced. Now, Chris Bonner is now tangentially referring to where we started. Every dollar you give to a kid who needs it in a uniquely Australian, stupid, blind sector system, you then have to give a dollar to a child that doesn't. That dollar is wasted. Chris Bonner says, sadly, this isn't going to change until we reach crisis point. Maybe reaching a plateau is the beginning. Funny thing about plateaus, he says, they go up and they level off, but at the other end is a long downward slope. Well, that's not very happy. However, uh, there is a little bit of interesting news in Australia anyway, because the Greens are set to keep the Senate balance of power. Mr Birmingham might try to bring in uh, some pretty unpleasant things in education, but he might have a few problems in the Senate because the numbers are in. And this is what they are. The Coalition's on track to win 30 Senate seats, which is a loss of three. It needs nine other votes to pass legislation through the Senate. It'll only be able to do this with the support of Labor, which is on track for 26 seats, which is a gain of one for them, or the Greens, who are on track for nine, which is a loss of one. And the other option will be the crossbench, which is expected to grow by between one and three more senators once Queensland and New South Wales are counted. Already confirmed on the crossbench are three Nick Xenophon team. Two One Nation Senators, Senator Hinch and Jackie Lambie. Treasurer Scott Morrison was in Adelaide yesterday talking to Nick Xenophon and his colleagues about pressing budget measures. Because there are some 40 billions worth of measures, both in the 2016 budget, that have been refashioned from previous budgets that are essential to driving the budget back towards balance, he said. So it's all going to be very interesting in the next few years. But um, if I was a teacher and I was interested in education, I'd be talking to the Greens and uh, Nick Xenophon and even Hinch because Hinch knows about what happens when children are abused. But, um, and that's what he feels most strongly about. So we live in very interesting times. Meanwhile, over in America, Obama's education policies have in fact weakened the Democratic Party because his putting up of so many charter schools, his support of charter schools means that the teacher unions have been weakened and the teacher unions have been always out campaigning for the Democrats. So the Democrats 
by promoting charter schools have underlined or undermined, I'm sorry, a lot of their support base when it comes to the actual election in November. But more about that next week. Yes, thank you very much, Dean. I think next week we'll give, a, give that a good go because here at The Dogs we don't just deal with education policy in Australia but also around the world. You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast and on the WWWs. Um, yeah, look, in the news just recently, I mean it's been all up and down all over the place because, oh my goodness, it's been videos, terrible things are happening in juvenile justice centres and jails all around Australia. Who would have thought? Uh, well, the minister, of course, because he was told last year and he was told the year before, as was the prime minister, as were all the relevant people. But now, of course, it's on the um, it, it's on four corners, and you can see these horrific pictures, which, by the way, have gone all all the way around the world. You know, the Chinese are jumping up and down about saying, "Why why would we listen to Australia about human rights abuses at all when we've seen these pictures of what's happening in Australia?" Do you know what? We're going to ignore Australia because Australia's got no moral. Oh, it's extraordinary. Well, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, it was hidden before, and, and Australians are very, very happy to have bad things hidden, especially on offshore detention centres and in the, in the jails. But um, as soon as it comes out, oh, my goodness. Well, they'll be able to do that because Mr Turnbull's got rid of Mr Rudd uh, for the United Nations. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Um, but I'm going to talk about something that's actually far more structurally important. It's not about pictures and people in hoods and restrained in chairs. I'm talking about the fact that just recently in New South Wales, three quarters of the teachers from the New South Wales prison system, which are there to educate the kids in juvenile justice and educate the prisoners so that they can have productive lives, three quarters of them were sacked straight off the bat. It's ridiculous. The decision to slash teaching staff from 142 full-time positions to just 20 so from about 152 to 20, comes as the New South Wales prison population skyrocketed to a record. Now, get this. This is in New South Wales. The prison population, well, I won't ask you to guess, dear listeners, but it's 12,360. That's 12,360 people that are in jail in New South Wales. And people talk about refugees. It's extraordinary. It's increasing every year on year on year on year. It's a very big expense. It's an extraordinary expense if you're thinking about 300000 per per prisoner. Corrective Services New South Wales currently employs 158 teachers across the state's prison system, all of whom will be affected by the cuts. They will be forced to reapply for their own jobs, and of the jobs that they're reapplying for, there will be 20 while the delivery of education and training courses in jails will be, have a guess, Jean, outsourced to specialist private training organisations. Who are not contracted they out. They don't have teacher training. That's, of course, it's they on don't, the cheap. Teachers on the cheap. Deputy Here Secretary of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, Maxine Sharkey, said that the 158 teachers revised on Tuesday. They will be flown to Sydney on Thursday for a briefing. With the New South Wales Corrective Services Assistant Commissioner, Dr Anne-Marie Martin, to discuss their options, including voluntary redundancies. Yeah, right, you're being sacked. The teachers are shocked. They said, we knew a review was coming, but this is worse than we thought. They're going to sack the workforce they've got now and bring in a new one. The new model also includes 43 assessment and planning clerks and 24 educational service coordinators 
But it's unclear whether they will be required to have teaching degrees, says Miss Sharkey says. It's unclear whether they'll be actually teaching the young people anything. Here we are, Robert. Here we are asking that at the secondary level, every child in Australia is given a minimum of 14000 per year uh, in an education system, and they are producing children who they're putting in prisons that cost the taxpayer 300000 a year, and then instead of giving them a decent education while they are in these institutions, they are making sure that whoever runs the institution can do it to make the maximum profits. There's something very sick about all of this, sick about the, the actual economic system that they're promoting. Yes, indeed. Um, what I have here in front of me, it's very interesting. It's actually a letter. It's a letter from an inmate. Um, and we don't have enough time to go through it now, but I'd like to actually refer to this next week. But I just thought I'd like to start off by introducing you to this inmate who's been part of the New South Wales correctional system and what they have to say. And this person is, of course, anonymous. And they say that they are an inmate who's currently serving a prison sentence, which is more than 10 years. Now, this inmate is eligible for release in the near future, and they're writing a letter concerning the changes to prison education. Now, they say, and I quote, I do not know how many inmates will be able to successfully voice their opinions when all our communication can be stopped. I feel very strongly about this issue and wish to voice my support for all the teachers I have come into contact with while in prison. They do an exceptional job in a very difficult circumstance, made all the more difficult with the lack of support they have received from executive management in the past few years. This entire reform has nothing to do with, and I quote, servicing double the number of inmates or even rehabilitation. This is all about terminating the employment of an entire workforce and rehiring other people to perform the exact same job for substantially reduced pay. Imagine if a private company tried to pull that stunt. <laughs> Imagine what a response it would be if the same stunt were to be pulled with all high school teachers. It is abhorrent that Corrective Services New South Wales and the government can seemingly get away with all this. All current teaching staff deserves every dollar they receive, especially during the volatile and violent nature of prison. It is a reflection of the character of teachers that they're at the at just recent Teachers Federation meeting, and after being formally told they were no longer wanted, they were apparently only worried about their students with no consideration for their own futures. During my time in custody, I have completed two university degrees. I completed these degrees so as to ensure that after such a lengthy custodial sentence, I would have skills that a prospective employer may desire. I am under no illusions, however, as to the difficulty I will have in finding suitable employment. When Justice Minister David Elliott took over the portfolio responsible for me, he made comments concerning his need to investigate why inmates were allowed to undertake traineeships and university degrees while in prison. He says, oh, we can't be having that. He says, since the large majority of the inmates were, were illiterate, resources should be dedicated to those inmates instead. This entire argument is not only predicated on the exaggerated claims, but is illogical. Simply put, it's virtually impossible to rehabilitate everyone. Those who have no interest in education currently do not attend in prisons. Those currently completing education programs are the ones 
who want to be there. Forcing people into a classroom who do not want to be there leads to embarrassment, disruptive behaviour and violence. Now, Corrective Services New South Wales has a serious problem with stating facts as they truly are. The majority of publicity released released statements are filled with deliberate deceptions and unfortunately Corrective Services New South Wales is immune to any type of interrogation that may uncover these deceptions as the community does not care about prisoners. A prisoner has no civil rights. They are civilly dead. For proof of this, says this anonymous inmate, you need to look no further than the district court. Judge Paul Connellan's comments last year when he stated that he had dealt with um, Corrective Services New South Wales for decades and knew most of what they disseminated was not accurate. The judge challenged Corrective Services to send a representative to his court to provide sworn evidence and repeat its spokesperson's accusations from the previous day that Judge Conlon's in-court comments were incorrect. This is the judge speaking. He said he did not expect anyone to turn up, and they didn't. Disappointingly, no one within the media or community even commented on the fact that a government department could willfully deceive the public with such impunity. And he says, and we'll continue on with this next week because this is, for me, is a very powerful letter about what's going on in our prison system. Now, we are defenders of education, but in the prison system you have the most vulnerable people and, as anyone knows, if you want to rehabilitate, the only way you're going to get people out of a cycle of crime is actually to give them another option. How do you give people more options with their lives? You give them the power and the tools to do so. And how do you give people power and tools? You allow them, when they seek it, and education. Now, Corrective Services, New South Wales, said there are many private providers that now exist that can and do the job better than current teachers. Mm. This is a complete lie. They are literally removing the only thing that makes a difference. They are removing the entire wealth of institutional knowledge for teaching offenders. Anyone who believes what works in community colleges can be applied to prisons is deluding themselves. This is simply a ploy by the government to get rid of education and provide it at a lower cost. Now, this is an inmate saying this, and before we finish this program today, I have something very important to say. I have worked in community colleges, I have worked in schools all around Australia, and I have worked inside the prison system. What this man is saying, this prisoner who's educated himself inside jail, is demonstrably true. It's anecdotally true, it's statistically true, it's true in every sense. He says, anyone who believes what works in community colleges can be applied to prisons is deluding themselves. It is a completely different environment, fundamentally different environment. In fact, in many ways, it's much easier to teach in prisons because the people who are there can't go anywhere else. And if you want to talk about behavioural problems and stuff like that, it's very simple in jail, (laughs) if you're in jail. If you act out even in the slightest, it's a minimum 12 uh, 12, 12 hours in solitary, straight up. Whereas if, you, if you're teaching in the community, the whole thing is just completely different. Motivational structures, discipline structures, it's just this chalk and cheese. So this man is right in saying, and he's saying, you sack all the teachers, you lose all that knowledge. Getting some private contractor in is ridiculous. And I'll tell you one more thing. 
dearest listeners, sorry, I'm being quite didactic, is that I've worked in the New South Wales system where they actually have schools inside juvenile justice centres and then in Victoria where they do not. They have private contractors coming in on, on, on a sessional basis to do some form of, inverted commas, education. And New South Wales, the recidivism rate for juveniles is actually less. And when they come out, they have skills. They are mechanics. They are technicians. They can work in hospitality because they have their certificates because they went to school inside their juvie. That doesn't happen in Victoria. You don't break the cycle in Victoria. But look, I have gone for too long, ladies and gentlemen. We have come to the end of our program. If you're interested in what we have to say, then you have to you have to contact us on our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But from G, myself and Dale, until next week, you've been listening to the Dogs programs, and hopefully next week you'll listen as well. But for now, it's bye-bye. Oh, mm-hmm.